Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, hello, and howdy, everyone. Welcome to the podcast, Rotten to the Core. I am your host, Josh Waters. And today, I have two different but similar stories of serial killers and possible cannibals. In today's lesson, we're going to learn about two different train station serial killers, Carl Grauman and Fritz Harman. Both lived in Germany from the mid-1800s to the 1920s. World War I had turned Germany upside down, leaving plenty of fear, poverty, and mental illness to run rampant, leaving more opportunities for rotten people to take advantage and cause more darkness to spread. My inspiration for even looking up these men for this episode was the thinking, what non-war criminals were there after World War I? I knew Germany was left broken and broke. I thought that there must be some rotten people who would have taken advantage of that situation. And I was right. There were many killers during that time, and these two are the ones that stuck out to me the most. Have you ever been to a busy train station? They are crowded, active, and full of noise and vendors selling quick meals to an inhale as we wait for our next train. Personally, if I see that metal hot dog stand, I make a beeline for a mustard and relish covered mystery sausage. Mm-mm. Those of us that eat hot dogs have an unspoken rule. Just don't think about what it's made out of. And as I've heard some people say, it's just lips and butts. But from what exactly? What would you say if I told you that there was once a killer who possibly turned his victims into hot dogs and sold them outside of a train station? Or another one who searched for his young victims at a train station and would literally take a bite out of their throats? The men we will learn about today have gone above and beyond rotten and have made it into history as the monsters they are. Or were, I guess. (laughs) So, let's take our seats. Attendance is in, and class is in session. First, we will start with Fritz Harmon, who will eventually be known as the Vampire of Hanover and Wolfman. He earned those nicknames due to him murdering 24 to 27 known victims by tearing into their throats with his teeth like a literal animal. Right off the bat, what the hell? I knew the war turned many people into the suddenly poverty-stricken, but I did not imagine it could make more monsters. You would have thought the atrocities committed by Hitler during the war would have been enough for one country, but as we know, evil never takes a break. When I started researching Fritz, the first thing I found out was he was a homosexual. I swear I'm not just finding gay and presumably gay murderers, but... I'm increasingly interested in them in their lives. I live out loud as a homosexual and embody the phrase, if you see someone without a smile, just give them yours. So learning about these people has shown me the opposite spectrum of who I think I am, which gives me a broader perspective 
and a pocket knife in my sock. Safety first. Fritz was the youngest and sixth child born to Johanna and Ollie Harmon. It is reported that his father married the 41-year-old, seven years his senior, mainly due to her wealth and the dowry he would eventually receive. Ollie was seen as an argumentative and short-tempered man, which is just such a unique personality among men. Originality. Gotta love it. His mother was more kind-hearted and would develop a very close relationship with her youngest and most spoiled child. From an early age, Fritz was known to enjoy things that were until more recently viewed as effeminate, such as needlepoint, cooking, and playing with dolls and dresses. Altogether, shunning activities other boys were interested in. Here's a good example of nature versus nurture. I had a very similar childhood compared to Fritz, more notably that I had zero interest in what other boys were doing and instead always enjoyed playing the girl role, Pink Ranger for life. I was cooking, sewing, and being spoiled. Even in school, his teachers said that the same thing that mine did, just about. He was a good student, but a spoiled and effeminate child and prone to daydreaming. I believe my first grade report card said something very similar. Well, that and he just won't shut the hell up. Even the friends he chose were female and usually older than he was, which has always been my preference when finding friends as well. Academically, he was below average and had to repeat a school year twice. I did summer school for algebra once and took geometry twice. Do not come at me with any math problems. When Fritz was just eight, he was reportedly molested by a teacher. I'm assuming it was a male teacher, but I could not find out any more information. He would never discuss it in further detail, but this seems to be the start of his dark journey. Fritz would allow this to help shape his adult life, and that seed of darkness planted would grow into a horrendous garden of horror, twisting its vines around the bodies of so many. By 1894, Fritz had finished schooling and grown into what was described as trim and physically fit young man. Here in Indiana, they just call us beanpoles. I hate it. He tried to be a locksmith's apprentice for a while, but by age 15, he decided to enroll in a military academy and began training on April 4th, 1895. Within a few short months, though, Fritz started to suffer from repeated lapses in consciousness. At first, military doctors described it as anxiety neurosis, but it would eventually be diagnosed as a form of epilepsy. By November, Fritz had briefly returned to Hanover to work in his father's cigar factory. Then things turned darker for the 16-year-old, who committed his first known sexual offenses. He began to lure young boys into secluded places and would sexually abuse them. These first victims weren't murdered. He hadn't yet grown into that monster. The impact his actions had on their lives is unknown. I couldn't find out how many young boys suffered at this point, but it led to his first arrest in July of 1896. That arrest wouldn't do much to stop him, though, and after committing even more offenses, landed himself in a mental institution in February 1897. After receiving a psychiatric evaluation, he would rightfully be deemed incurably deranged and unfit to return to regular society. I will add, if you don't remember from our History of Homophobia episode, that homosexuality was viewed as a mental illness and a flat-out crime at that time. And just that alone could have caused that diagnosis. 
I'm not putting much faith into psychologists again at that time in history. He could have been paid by Fritz's father to rid him of his burden. All these scenarios were possible, and whatever the reason, he would be ordered to remain in the institution indefinitely. I honestly think that psychologist saw the monster inside of him. As we learned earlier, Fritz was a mama's boy, and even in confinement was spoiled by his mother. This is some of that toxic love I've been learning about. And with his mother's help, Fritz would escape the institution in January of 1898 and would end up fleeing to Zurich, Switzerland, staying with a relative of his mother's and eventually finding employment as a handyman in a shipyard. By April 1899, he had returned to Hanover and attempted to assimilate into society as a heterosexual. Been there, failed miserably at that. He even managed to woo and get engaged to a young lady named Erna Lowert, who would soon become pregnant with their child. Now, at that time, Germany had compulsory military service, and in October of 1900, he received his letter to re-enlist. Later that same month, Fritz would be deployed to the Alsatian city of Colmar and served in the number 10 Rifle Battalion. He would finally be a good student and was known by his superiors as a great soldier and marksman, even later describing this as the happiest time of his life. Killing people at war and happy? I mean, I like a good bubble bath and a bottle of wine, but good gravy. At some point in his time serving, his mother did die in the year 1901, and his military career wouldn't last, as Fritz started to suffer from dizzy spells and collapsing during exercises. He was hospitalized for about four months and would eventually be labeled unfit to serve in the military or to work by July 28th of 1902. At that time, he was diagnosed with what was called dementia precox, now called schizophrenia. After being discharged, Fritz returned to Hanover with his fiancée and was again employed at his father's cigar factory and was receiving around 28 gold marks a month from the army. Shortly after returning to work, he would attempt to sue his father for disability, citing his discharge from the military as the cause. His father would smash that attempt, but not before coming at Fritz with his own lawsuit, attempting to get Fritz returned to the mental institution, citing verbal death threats as the reasoning. The case was eventually dropped due to not enough evidence. It did lead to Fritz getting another psychiatric evaluation by Dr. Andre, who concluded that, although Fritz Harmon was morally inferior, he was not mentally unstable. Well, we can conclude that Dr. Andre was not a very good psychiatrist. Hey, Doc, you were wrong! One quick thought here. He escaped the mental institution when he was younger with the help of his mother. Correct. Did they just forget about that? I mean, he joined the military and was given a pension. Why wasn't he just returned to the asylum as soon as he was identified? He had been sentenced to remain in the asylum indefinitely, but what? If you escape, does it clear your record? I'm just not understanding how all of this was allowed to happen. Something was not read. (laughs) Always read your forms before hiring somebody. Thank God for background checks these days. In a final attempt to make his son into someone at least remotely respectable, His father gave Fritz and his fiancée the money to purchase a fishmonger shop. Still, it was put in his fiancée Erna's name. Erna Gerd. After attempting to try his hand at insurance sales, Fritz was finally deemed unfit to work and was placed on disability in 1904, 
along with a slight wage increase from the military. In what would be a brilliant move on her part, his fiancée, still pregnant, decided to end their relationship after accusing Fritz of having an affair with a student. He was then forced to leave their business and home, as it was in her name. She would eventually abort her pregnancy and cut all ties with Fritz. She was no dummy. Over the next decade, Fritz would spend most of his time in prison for burglary, theft, and conning people, even claiming himself to have grave robbed. He was finally released after several stays in prison in the year 1908 and settled again in Hanover in a single-room apartment. According to Harmon, he was struck by poverty because the nation had suffered in World War I. Through his initial effort to trade and purchase stolen property at Hanover Central Station, Harmon established several criminal contacts with whom he could trade stolen property. He immediately reverted to the criminal life he had lived before his 1913 arrest. Old habits die hard, don't they? Surprisingly, on the part of the police, Fritz gradually created relationships with local police and worked his way up to becoming an informant. All to redirect attention away from his crimes, eventually he was allowed to patrol the station at his will and became a reliable informant for the police. Again, a psych doctor deemed this man morally inferior, but he was still given every opportunity to be a good, trusted citizen. Newsflash, he failed. Well, now is when the story takes an even darker turn. Between 1918 and 1924, Harmon would commit at least 24 murders of young boys and young men. His victims were all males between the ages of 10 to 22, most of them in their late teens, under the guise of helping them with a place to stay, employment, help, or even threatening arrest, he would lure them back to his apartment. He would give them food and drink before strangling them and biting into their Adam's apple, causing the victims to die of asphyxiation or bleeding out. This is really messed up. He would eventually refer to his method of biting through their throats as his love bite. That made my stomach turn just learning that. That was some profound animalistic evil that laid within that man. Good gravy. All his known victims were dismembered before eventually being thrown into the Lane River or other bodies of water. Only his first victim was buried. Fritz would keep his victims' belongings, too, often gifting them to friends, selling them on the black market, or to a few retailers. Rumors even started circulating that Harmon was consuming and selling his victims as pig and horse meat. No concrete evidence was found of this, but Fritz was known to have been an active seller of contraband meat and always sold boneless, diced, and ground-up meat. I learned researching this that human meat is called long pig. The more you wish you didn't know. His first victim was 17-year-old Friedel Roth, who disappeared on September 25th, 1918. After pressure from his family, police eventually searched Harmon's apartment. There they found the monster with a semi-naked 13-year-old boy, and he was charged with sexual assault and battery of a minor, and given only nine months in prison. He later admitted that while police raided his apartment, he had Roth's skull behind the stove wrapped in newspaper. He avoided serving his sentence throughout 1919. 
that October, he met an 18-year-old named Hans Granz. That's his real name, Hans Granz, who had run away from his home in Berlin. Hans had slept rough and in around Hanover Station for about two weeks, selling old clothes in and around the station to people to earn enough money to just eat. Hans would eventually form an intimate relationship with Fritz and a criminal accomplice. Harmon stated following his arrest that he viewed the young man as being like a son to him, adding that he pulled him out of the ditch and tried to make sure he didn't go to the dogs. The two would have a strange relationship to say the least. Granz would eventually start manipulating Harmon to his knowledge, and the two had a very toxic and codependent bond. Granz would later state that he was heterosexual, but after hearing Harmon being gay, he decided to prostitute himself. I am going to honestly put part of the blame for these murders on the police because, believe it or not, Fritz again became a police informant after gaining their trust. Sorry, not sorry, but if you are found with a naked and underage child in your home, you don't get to work for the police. I feel like that should be common sense. Most of Harmon's victims were runaways, commuters, and male prostitutes he found at the Central Railway Station. Harmon killed his final victim, 17-year-old Heinrich de Vry, on June 14, 1924. DeVry encountered Harmon at Hanover Station, and his dismembered body would later be found in a lake near a garden entrance. Harmon would confess it had taken him four separate trips to carry the dismembered remains to the location he had disposed of them. In May of 1924, two children found a skull near the Lane River. The town would eventually gather and hundreds of residents searched the river, finding hundreds of human remains, with over 30% belonging to young males between the ages of 15 to 20. Well, suspicion soon fell on Harmon, who was known to both the police and the criminal investigation department as a homosexual who had amassed 15 previous convictions dating from 1896 for various offenses, including child molestation, and the sexual assault and battery of a minor. And don't forget, he was their informant twice. And we just learned they knew everything he did and still let him work for them twice. He was quickly placed under surveillance and since he had worked for them twice, the local police brought in two undercover officers from Berlin to watch him on June 18, 1924. Shortly after on the night of the 22nd, Harmon was seen by two undercover officers prowling Hanover Central Station. He was soon observed arguing with a 15-year-old boy named Carl Fromm, then approaching police and insisting they arrest the youth on the charge of traveling upon forged documents. Once he was arrested, though, Fromm informed police that he had been living with Harmon for four days and that he had been repeatedly sexually assaulted by his accuser, sometimes as a knife was held to his throat. Harmon was arrested the following morning and charged with sexual assault, and his apartment was searched. The floor, walls, and bedding of his apartment were extremely bloodstained, which Fritz would blame on his contraband meat selling. His neighbors were also questioned and admitted to the many young boys that went into his apartment, and all the late-night trips carrying large bags. 
The true turning point came on June 29th when clothes, books, and keys found stowed at Harmon's apartment were identified as belonging to a missing 18-year-old named Robert Witzel, a skull that had been found in a garden on the 20th of May and was recognized as that of the young man. A friend of Witzel identified a police officer seen in the company of the boy the day before his disappearance as Harmon. When he was confronted with this evidence, Harmon briefly attempted to bluster his way out of these latest and most damning pieces of evidence. When Witzel's jacket was found in possession of his landlady, he was confronted with various witnesses' testimony about his destroying identification marks upon the clothing. He broke down. He had to be supported by his sister, and I'm just gonna go out on a limb and guess it was probably the same reaction a child would have. Sorry that they got caught, but not sorry for the things that they did. Well, a child or a cheating man, both the same. The trial barely lasted two weeks, and 190 witnesses were called to testify. On December 19, 1924, Fritz Harmon was found guilty on 24 out of 27 murders and sentenced to death by beheading. His accomplice and ex-lover Hans Granz was sentenced to 12 years imprisonment. Fritz did not appeal against the verdict, claiming his death would atone for his crimes and stating that, were he at liberty, he would likely kill again. Kranz was eventually retried after more evidence was found, and he was still found guilty, but this time receiving two 12-year sentences. He would serve his first 12 years in prison, and a second was spent in a concentration camp until his release. He would live in Hanover until he died in 1975. And at 6 o'clock in the morning of April 15th, 1925, Fritz Harmon was beheaded by guillotine on the grounds of Hanover Prison. Going by German tradition at the time, he was not told of his execution date until the night before. Once he received the news, he prayed with his pastor and requested an expensive cigar and Brazilian coffee to have in his cell. No members of the press were permitted to witness the execution, and only a handful saw the event. According to published reports, although he was pale and nervous, he maintained a sense of bravado as he walked to the guillotine. The last words Fritz Harman spoke were, I am guilty, gentlemen, but, hard though it may be, I want to die as a man. Immediately before placing his head on the execution block, Harmon added, I repent, but I do not fear death. The actual number of Harmon's victims will never be known. After his arrest, he made several inaccurate statements regarding the exact number and when he began killing. He claimed to have killed maybe 30, maybe 40 victims. Later, he would claim the actual number of victims was between 50 and 70. Following his execution, sections of his brain were removed for forensic analysis. An examination of slices of his brain revealed traces of meningitis. Although no sections of his brain were permanently preserved, nonetheless, his head was preserved in formaldehyde and remained in possession of a medical school from 1925 until 2014 when it was finally cremated. The remains of his victims were buried in a communal grave at Stockner Cemetery in February of 1925, and a large granite memorial was placed with their names and ages carved into it. 
The murders committed by Harmon stirred much discussion in Germany regarding methods used by the police investigation and the treatment of mentally ill offenders. However, the most heated topic of discussion concerning the murders were issues relating to homosexuality, which again was then illegal and punishable by imprisonment. The discovery of the murders subsequently stirred a wave of homophobia throughout Germany, with one historian noting, It split the gay right movements irreparably. It fed every prejudice against homosexuality and provided new fodder for conservative adversaries of legal sex reform. Because as we all know, the actions of one dictate the actions of everybody in that group. Good lord, people. Well, what do you guys think of Fritz Harmon? He's crazy. Crazy girl. No, but literally, he was out of his gourd. Well, we're not done yet, folks. Next, we have another German killer who was active at the same time as Harmon, just for a little longer. I decided to add him to this episode as I couldn't find enough about him to fill a whole one, but he was very similar to Harmon that I just had to find out more. Seemed to be two edges of the same sword. His name was Karl Grauman, and he was a German serial killer, sexual predator, and highly suspected to be a cannibal. As I said before, there was not a lot known about him, but he was so rotten that I wanted to educate myself. If we ignore history, then we can't learn from it. Karl was born on December 18, 1863 in Europe Germany. I, again, could not find anything on his early life besides that he had a sadistic sexual appetite and had been arrested 25 times for different sexual crimes. I just physically cannot make myself say what they were at that young age, but one resulted in the death of a 7- and 9-year-old girl. You can look them up if you want, but take it from me and save yourself. They are some of the worst crimes I think that could be committed. During World War I, Carl was drafted into the army, but nothing else is known about his time serving. He was known to have frequently entertained ladies of the evening, often bringing them back to his apartment where they would make all sorts of ruckus and annoy his neighbors, who would be only too happy to tell police that most of the women who went to his apartment never came out. Like the murderer before... He sold mystery meat on the black market to make a living. He also owned a hot dog stand located at his local train station. It is believed that the hot dogs he sold were created from the remains of his victims. Excuse me, waiter. My hot dog has a fingernail and I asked for mustard. Sorry, folks. I use humor to cope with horrible things. As I said before, he did not make friends with his neighbors, and on August 21st, 1921, they called the police after hearing screams and banging noises, followed by silence, from his apartment. He was arrested on the spot after the police found a recently murdered young woman and evidence of at least three other butcherings within the past few weeks. Carl was taken into custody, and during the trial, he was convicted of first-degree murder, and his sentencing was scheduled with the intention of death. Before sentencing, though, he was found to have hung himself in his jail cell and was dead at the age of 58, permanently removing any hope of knowing the accurate scale of his brutal butcherings. 
Some historians say the body count is between 26 to as many as 50 victims, all who might have been eaten by unknowing patrons of a hot dog stand. So, I'll ask you again, what is in a hot dog? I guess we'll never really know. I hope you all stay safe out there and keep an eye out for each other. If you see someone alone, watch them. Sometimes being a people watcher could save a life. And I always have my binoculars. Thank you for joining me on episode 16 of Rotten to the Core. I'm your host, Josh Waters. And don't forget when they say, take a bite out of life. They do not mean literally. Auf Wiedersehen. If you would like to stay up to date on our current episodes of Rotten to the Core or have suggestions for future ones, please follow or like us on Facebook at It's Rotten to the Core, Instagram at It's Rotten to the Core, Twitter at Rotten in History, or It's Rotten to the Core.com. We also have a Patreon if you would like to support the podcast at patreon.com slash It's Rotten to the Core. Check out some of our other podcasts, too, at itsarclightmedia.com. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.